Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the new podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. In a Public Key First, this episode was recorded live from New York at the Chainalysis Links Conference with CEO Michael Groninger and Chief Strategy Officer Jonathan Levin. We discussed how they first discovered Bitcoin in the early days of the community and then went on to create Chainalysis. We also talk about the new Chainalysis Storyline product and what gets these founders excited as they look across the innovation happening in Web3. And if you're interested in that topic, then mark your calendar for the State of Web3 webinar happening on June 30th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Join us as we break down DeFi, staking, the metaverse, and more with Chainalysis economist, Ethan McMahon. The URL to register can be found in the show notes. We're recording live from New York City uh, at the Chainalysis Lynx conference. I have with me two of my favorite people at Chainalysis, the folks that brought me into the company, actually. Co-founders, Michael Groninger, our CEO, and Jonathan Levin, Chief Strategy Officer. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. This is awesome. Great to be here on a multi-sig public key. <laughs> that is a uh, that is a deep insider joke right there. I don't know how many people are going to get that. We'll explain it in the show notes, maybe. You know, I think this is actually a special one to have the two of you on. So we've hit you know an early milestone in this podcast. So thanks for joining me today. I've gotten in this habit of asking our guests their origin story, if you will. And I thought maybe, Michael, we'll start with you and then Jonathan, but I, both of you have fascinating entry points into crypto. So I, I'd love to start there. Cool. So I think I read about crypto first time in 2010 and felt like yet another project. And then I saw the news about Mangox, the first hack that happened in 2011. Many people don't know about this, but the, there's been like a price spike. First, it crossed a dollar. Then it got up to around 30 or $50 or so, and then it crashed. At that time, I was like, this is real. This is very interesting. So I need to figure out what it was. So I downloaded the source code, compiled it, started to play with it, figured out what mining was, figured out what everything was there, and got pretty obsessed and got, got deep into things. And then I was like, as I usually do if there's a new topic, I want to talk to other people about it and meet, meet real people who, who do something about it. So I found a meetup or a conference in New York that happened in August 2011 and went there and realized that that was the first time people had met, really. So it was not that many who had met in the crypto ecosystem before that, but this was like people from Australia, Japan, Europe, a lot of different places, and probably 40 people that met in a room. And that was where I met the other early people in the industry who had similar obsessions as me. And then from there on, I went to many of the conferences, continued to figure out how to build things in crypto, and that resulted in Kraken first and Chainalysis second. Amazing. So you, you were there maybe 18 months, not quite two years after the first Bitcoin paper was published, right? Satoshi unveiled it to the world. Yes. And reading the paper was amazing, but also the time was, it was early. It was early blocks in the blockchain at that time. Yeah. 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 Jonathan, how about you? I was sitting in a pub in, in Oxford at the time. I was a, a grad student doing economics and very much focused on environmental economics and how we should tax carbon and, and do border carbon adjustments. And I thought my path was in sort of academia or consulting. And after about the third pint at the Old Vic pub with my friend Tom, he was saying we should start arbitrage trading between Mt. Gox and Bitstamp. And so this is sort of late 2012. That, that was a popular trade at the time, right? Because the price of Bitcoin was very different in Japan than it was in the rest of the world for some reason. Yeah, so there was um, sort of the European exchange Bitstamp, which was based out of Slovenia, which was you know, connected to the European traders. And Mt. Gox, you had to set up an account at this 
Japanese exchange that used to be a card trading platform, you know, there was just not an efficient way to move really money between those two venues. And so there was plenty of price dispersion so that people could take advantage of that trade. But in order to take advantage of that trade, you actually needed to know what Bitcoin was. So I asked Tom, like, what is actually what is Bitcoin? And he started to explain to me this complicated computer algorithm that mines it and secures it. And it's, you know, purely peer to peer, and there's no central authority. And I told him he was completely mad. And so I went home that night and actually started, you know, similar to Michael delving, uh, except I don't download source code and compile it. I read the forums and understand sort of the high level notes and the strategic goals of the Bitcoin white paper. But I, you know, looked at the economic incentives that secured Bitcoin. And so my first foray into Bitcoin was to research really some of the fundamental game theory behind the security that ensures that Bitcoin can, you know, continue to be here 10 years later and actually come up with a hypothesis around, you know, how do transaction fees work long term in the market. And so published kind of the first foray into what that fee market should look like. And I think that it's aging somewhere in deep inside the library of the University of Oxford. Amazing. I couldn't think of a better pairing to create a company in the cryptocurrency space to bring an economist and a technologist together, because really those are the two disciplines, right? We're creating programmable money here. That was incredibly fortuitous, I think, both of you finding crypto and then ultimately finding each other. One of the things that attracted me to the company was this amazing optimism. The first time I met each of you, I came away actually a little bit surprised because I think about Chainalysis as this company dealing in kind of the underbelly of the cryptocurrency ecosystem, right? Both of you reflected, I think, an opinion that, that cryptocurrency has the potential to do some amazing good for the world. Jonathan, maybe you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, look, when, when I got started in cryptocurrency in 2012, you know, I was incredibly skeptical. Like I had no use for Bitcoin in my daily life. And I thought to the same extent that Michael thought, like this is just a new project that some people are gonna just lose interest in. And I think the thing that I uncovered over the past decade was really that people who have unfettered access to technology that radically transforms what is fundamentally possible are going to create some amazing things and you will be constantly surprised by the size of the communities and the types of ingenuity that those communities can come up with. And the invention of new types of business model and the evolution of the technology to be you know, safer, to be more extensible, to be composable, to be faster, cheaper, better. You know, all those things start to really take hold when you take into account like how long these things will be around and how many people in the world will spend their time you know, building things in that space. And so I've constantly been proven wrong about sort of, oh, this is, you know, this new innovation is not actually that interesting in crypto. And then it turns out that it wasn't the first sort of incarnation of an ICO, but actually sort of, if you look at, you know, capital formation in DAOs today, like those actually have
have maybe a lot longer lifetime and, and are breeding out sort of newer business models and use cases. And so, you know, I think that one of the things that people get wrong in crypto a lot is that first initial gut reaction in an early technology where you say, oh, this actually isn't useful in my daily life today, or it's not an impactful thing. It's actually the platform that allows for the innovation and new business models that actually are the most exciting things. That's a great point, actually. Michael, you touched on this in your opening keynote. We're in a kind of an uncertain market right now. We've seen a downturn in uh, certainly crypto asset prices. Like, how should people be thinking about the period we're in now and, and how to reflect on some of the, the downturn that's happened over the last few weeks? It's a great question. And, and as I mentioned before, I joined the community in a crash. I got excited about it in a crash. So basically the crash happened in 2011 from like 50, 30 or $50 down to a dollar. And, and that was apparently exciting. But what happened following that was a lot of building. So people started to build things. They saw this was real. They saw that all the flaws that caused the crash, that was the problems back then. But they also saw all the opportunities that were there. And then I usually see these cycles in crypto where the price goes up and it crashes a bit and it goes up again as like build and execute, where you execute, you get a lot of new customers or users into the into the entire ecosystem in these like bull runs. And then when it's a bear market, that's a time where everyone builds something. What they built creates the next wave. So it's basically the excitement of all the new technology that's been built and all the opportunities that happens there. Ethereum was built during a bear market and we've seen ICOs, other things happening there, DeFi happening in that period as well. So clearly there's a lot of, of things that will be built now whether we are entering that, that period or not. Yeah, I think that's great perspective. And we've even seen this pre-crypto, right? Some of the biggest tech companies today were built during the dot-com bust. Yes. As you know, everyone was sort of struggling coming out of, out of uh, the late 90s. And speaking of building, obviously we're at the Lynx conference. We've had a couple major announcements this week. Jonathan, what's, what's exciting to you in, in terms of the, uh, the things that we're working on and bringing to market here at Chainalysis? You know, at Chainalysis, we've been serving our customers in investigations and the compliance space you know, really well for the last you know, seven, eight years. And what that has meant is, is two things. One is we need to extend those to all of the new innovations that are happening inside Web3 and inside DeFi and inside you know, tracking NFTs and all of the latest business models. And you know, for that, I think Storyline for us, a product that really allows people to simplify really what, what are quite complex financial transactions or non-financial transactions that are now occurring in Web3 into a basic storyline and, and allow people to visualize that and give that to other people is, is something that is critical for us to continue to build out really general purpose utilities in the crypto ecosystem. If you look at what we've done historically, it's you know, take all the blockchain data that's out there, label it with the right context and give it really to you know, lots of different types of industry participants. And so you know, we think the same way about Storyline is like this future of demonstrating what is actually happening in Web3 and giving people an easy way to visualize that and use that. That's one thing that I'm really excited about. And then I think the second thing is you know, once we've realized what the different types of decisions that people are making using our data, what are the different use cases, we like to double down on, you know, really what workflows need to be run in crypto enterprises. And so, you know, I'm really excited by the work that we're doing around Chainalysis Playbook and how we're helping businesses actually make better decisions around 
you know, what are their customers doing with their crypto? How should they market to them? How should they serve them better? How should they build better products? And extending the chain analysis platform to serve more of the enterprise is something that, you know, we're really focused on at chain analysis today. Yeah, definitely two products I'm, I'm very excited about. Michael, I'm curious outside of Chainalysis, as we enter this build phase, what are some of the things you're most excited about uh, from across the ecosystem? I always think about what is the long-term horizon for all of this. So we're basically looking at building this operating system for finance that's basically enabling a lot of new things to happen. And every new example of something that happens there is great to see. One of the things that I'm excited about is when I see a new phase of the blockchain where it's being used in new ways, it's super exciting. So for example, two things worth mentioning, Solana, enabling high throughput transactions and making that at scale and enabling things that were not possible before. Other thing is Helium, where you see building this uh, ubiquitous low bandwidth network for Wi-Fi, for, for Internet of Things becoming into a 5G network that's basically being run by the incentive that's created through the blockchain. And when I saw that, just like Jonathan mentioned before, initially you're like skeptical, it will never work, let's see if it works, and you see like, this is working. Yeah. Of course it has its problems, but it's growing and working. That is highly exciting for me to see, and that's why I believe that we are really building the operating system of finance. Yeah, the session with Raj Gokal from uh, Solana Labs yesterday was terrific. I had to go and find the original dancing baby gif <laughs> yeah, uh, and post that in a tweet. Because that talk, I mean, it was an incredible comparison. Taking NFTs as the entry point for so many people into crypto over the last two years in the same way that the dancing baby was the first time people signed up for an email address or you know, a similar meme from the late 90s. That broad consumer adoption is exciting. And then obviously the things being built on on Solana are just incredible, right? With, you know, Helium, Render was the other one that he talked about. Well, gentlemen, I think we've got a wrap. We're under a time crunch here. You're needed elsewhere. They're kicking us out of the room. It's been awesome to do this in person. We might have to do a, a longer form episode on an upcoming podcast. Before we wrap, any bets on the price of Bitcoin? So I think one of the interesting things when you think about the market today is that, you know, you've seen sort of tech stocks in general sort of fall off all of the gains that we saw during COVID times. And when you see that, there's an open question around how higher interest rates impact how investors look at long-term cash flows of tech businesses that, you know, we were thinking about this as a really long-term horizon with, you know, an incredibly low interest rate environment. And so the, the stock prices of stocks have been, have been going up a lot. I think that when you look at, you know, what does that mean for an asset like Bitcoin that behaves a lot more like a commodity, but ultimately I think, you know, ends up being highly correlated with the rest of the tech sector because it is largely about a, an indicator of the broad digitization and online economy. And so we'll see Bitcoin continue to be fairly highly cor correlated with tech stocks over the next cycle. And so I guess that depends on how you think about interest rates and, and the macro economy so but but I, perfect answer answer from an economist yeah it all depends <laughs> it all depends yeah i'm happy to put a price i can say 100k but i'm not going to put a date at the same time yeah, there we go we've got half an answer yes. all right it's going to 100k gentlemen this is great thanks so much enjoyed the chat likewise great thanks for listening to this episode of public key we're releasing new episodes weekly so if you liked what you heard then don't forget to subscribe review and share here's something to consider while you wait for our next release 
It's been six years since the infamous DAO hack. The DAO had raised 150 million worth of ETH in a token sale that was the largest crowdfunding effort ever and made it the highest profile project on Ethereum. Success was short-lived though. Soon after the token sale, the DAO was hacked and 60 million of ETH was drained from their smart contract. The Ethereum community later executed a hard fork that returned all funds to investors and resulted in the creation of Ethereum Classic. In her recent book, The Cryptopians, author Laura Shin reveals who she believes was the perpetrator of the attack. Finally, if you want to get smarter on Web3, head down to the URL in the show notes to find our recent blog about the DeFi ecosystem. And for even more, sign up for the full Web3 report we'll publish later this month.